Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 188 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas on a Friday. Excited about this episode for you today. We've had some people ask that I get back to pure training topics because we've been spending the last several episodes on on other, in my opinion, more important topics. But yes, we are a training podcast. And yes, we want you to have all of those training details. So I'm happy to, to bring on a guest today, Coach Jen Harney from the Rogue World. She coaches in our Cedar Park location with, and really runs and develops a lot of our curriculum for Rogue broadly. She is a very, very smart coaching mind, and I'm excited to have her to talk about marathon training during a pandemic. We're going to give you eight different things to think about in how you prepare for a very uncertain fall racing season, including giving our own predictions about what might happen with that fall racing season. So with that as a very quick intro, let's jump in with Jen Harney. Here we go. Welcome, Jen Harney, to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you doing today, Jen? Doing great. Thank you for having me on, Chris. Thanks for being on. I'm catching you, I think, before a little afternoon outing to the lake with your boys. So I appreciate you taking the time before you go get get cool in in the hot summer heat in the lake. That'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. Uh, we borrowed one of those lake pads from one of my runners so they yeah. can... Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, lily, the lily pad things that... Yeah, that it's huge. Like they yeah, they, they only float because they're just so big. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's massive. I don't know how I'm going to fit it on top of my car, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> well, that'll be a fun challenge. Yeah. So we're talking today about marathon training during a pandemic. Because there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and I know that I'm getting a lot of questions. You're getting a lot of questions as one of our coaches on, how do I handle the uncertainty of not knowing what races will happen? What does that mean for my training? And as a part of that, I've been thinking about, okay, what are the things that look a little bit different now? Because in many cases, we're training for races that we don't know, you know, we don't know if they're going to happen. And we really can't know at this point. We can predict and we'll make, you know, actually we'll go ahead and start with predictions, but <laughs> then we'll go into, we'll go into eight things that, I've, that we've discussed as to how you might be modifying, tweaking things to emphasize during this time so that you can get the most out of this training and make sure that whatever you do, no matter what you do, benefits you down the road, whether or not races happen or not. And, you know, that's a consistent theme that we've been preaching that we've had elite athletes preach, including Kara Goucher, Steph Bruce, Alphine Tullimuk, that we've talked to during this time. And they've said, hey, do the work because no matter what, no matter what, the work is going to matter. But let's start with predictions. When you get that question, Jen, it's like, hey, is this going to happen? Obviously, we know Boston was one of the first big dominoes to fall moving to a virtual race. But when you get that question of, will races happen? When will races happen again? What do you tell people? Um, I tell people that I think some races will happen and I think some races won't happen. <laughs> I think, so I think, I think there are some trail races that might happen. 
um, depending on the size of the trail race. I think that uh, some marathons will happen depending on what state they're in and also uh, the size, again, of the of the marathon. So, in fact, the one that's come up recently is St. George because races in Utah are still happening. They, they just put on a marathon a couple weeks ago in Utah. So, wow. yeah, I know, I know. Um, I had a runner who was visiting there, and she said that there was a marathon going on, and she was shocked. Uh, but they did it in wow. waves, yeah. And so I think I think it just depends on the state and um, and how cases are doing in those states. And then I also think it depends on the size of the race and how they can execute the race safely. Of course, I, I think some races will probably happen that maybe aren't safe and maybe runners don't want to do. Um, so I think keeping that in mind as well. But I, I personally don't think that the the big races are going to happen. I think it's really hard to do them safely. And I think that even f- to get insurance for those types of races is, is going to be a challenge. You're talking about the Chicago's, New York's, the Phillies of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I think Indianapolis and CIM, the two races that we've targeted, um, I think it's probably a 50-50 chance, maybe less than that, that those happen. Um, And I know a lot of my runners have then looked at Houston as as kind of the next race if those don't happen. I have told them all to sign up quickly because I do think it'll sell out. But again, that's just another 50-50 that we're all just hoping for, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, for me, it's hard to believe that any big city will race will happen before next spring. Yeah. And that may even be too early. You know, I think one of two things has to happen. Either we need a vaccine, which it seems like the earliest anybody will predict that that could happen would be the beginning of next year. And that's obviously a stretch. Or if we get to a place where we can do testing so cheaply and so rapidly and accurately that you have to basically get tested (laughs) and prove that you're COVID negative before you can line up at the start line. I think that's another scenario under which a big race could happen potentially. You know, for example, you know, I have a friend who just had, he, you know, he has had to go get an MRI. So they, they tested him right before he got the MRI because I guess they didn't want him they didn't want him in the machine if he had COVID. So testing him right then, fifteen minute, got his response back and was COVID negative. So he got to do the MRI. And it cost him out of pocket like seventeen dollars. I don't know, you know, I don't know what may have cost the insurance and and that kind of equation but you could imagine if that was possible for somebody to to prove to them you know prove to a race that they could show up in at the start line i think any runner would pay 17 dollars for a 15 minute test absolutely yeah to get that to get to a start line and so but now the issue with that test in particular apparently is that there are i guess the odds of a false negative are are probably too high so I think it's 80% accurate or 85% accurate, something like that, according to my friend. So if you had a situation like that where 15% of positive cases were 
were shown as negative incorrectly, that could still be a problem. So you would need a test that was cheap, quick, and accurate, essentially, <laughs> for, for, it to, for it to work in this context. Was this in but, Austin, Chris? I just have to ask. Yes, this was yeah. in Austin. Okay. Because I have had two runners go get tested, and it's taken five days for their results. Yeah, no, that's the most common scenario, three to five days. But those tests apparently are more accurate. Okay. So there's a higher degree of accuracy. And I guess in this case, for whatever reason, they didn't require that level of accuracy. So it was a 15, literally a 15 minute turnaround and super cheap. Yeah. There but anyway. Are... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Those, those, those are the ways, those are the ways I think a, a race could happen without a vaccine is if you could get a rapid test situation. But, but basically I think you're right in the sense that those big city races probably aren't going to happen. Now, that's not to say you can't do it virtually, because I think there are merits and potentially some excitement to be had around a virtual Boston, for example. Now, you could say, of course, it's harder to get excited about a virtual race and maybe put your best foot forward. But the flip side of that is if you're using your garment to measure your 26.2 miles versus a, a course where you have to try to run the tangents... Yeah, that's you true. Know, there, there's an advantage to be gained there because you're not having to worry about tangents and you can stop when you get to 26.2 versus when the finish line is at 26.5. Right. Like as often happens. So, yeah, you gain like so, a. <laughs> yeah, so you gain some time there. So, that's something to think about potentially for those considering virtual races. But anyway, I tend to agree with you. The races that will happen are the small races where you can actually do a, a, a very distanced kind of wave start or time trial start. You know, I've, I was talking to Brent and Adam with Austin Runners Club and they have a half marathon called the Decker Challenge in December in Austin. And it's about a thousand people. And it's out on county roads that are pretty pretty uh low traffic on a sunday morning and you know they're talking about being able to still do that race and just sending people off every 15 to 30 seconds you know time trial style did they mention that having having like a cap for the race because i already have runners that have talked about doing that race as also a backup so I'm curious if there's... I, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that level of questioning. and I don't know that they've gotten to that level of planning, but I would assume there would have to be a cap, you know, because you can, can only schedule people in so many over a certain period of time. So anyway, but, the, but races, I think, that are small enough could go off like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about in Texas, I think about the Bryan College Station Marathon, for example. You know, that's, I think, typically four to 500 marathoners. They have more than that in the half but you know if you set people off in small enough groups then the only thing you really have to figure out then is the aid station situation and i know people are starting to get creative with that too so interesting yeah yeah I you. <laughs> so all that's to say you know the big races probably won't happen and that means everybody needs to make some decisions, which could potentially mean having a backup option. And so 
that is a good segue <laughs> to my first point to make here on marathon training during a pandemic, which is that you got to have options. You got to have options. And that can mean having options in terms of races, like two different marathons that you could consider in a certain window. So if, if I think about those who might be training for a December marathon, for example, CIM or Dallas, you know, potentially having an option as a backup that would be a smaller race that might draw more locally that would be smaller, kind of like Bryan College Station, for example, which also happens in December. You want to think about that. What are your options? Including, is a virtual race an option? And if so, what would that look like for you? You know, could you get a handful of friends to go out there and do it with you? We're going to be doing a virtual Boston here in Austin for our runners, keeping that on the down low, but um, so we don't get too many people out there. But that is an option. That's a backup for those who obviously had Boston on the calendar. So to me, optionality is the first question or is the first point. And, you know, and then that means you just got to kind of look at what your options are, given what you might have access to locally, and then start to do some research on how those races are handling their discussions about this pandemic. For example, I have somebody who's looking at the one of the tunnel races in Seattle area in September because it's they're small, happens largely on a trail, you know, like a crushed granite trail. And so far, the race director's saying that, that that it's on, and they're they're gonna kind of figure out how to make it work. And so I've got a runner who's looking at that particular race as an option. I have someone doing that race as well, also in September. So yeah, yeah they yeah, she's reached out to them and has, and they they said it's on. So she's she's training for it. Yeah. So. As it relates to optionality, what would you tell people, you know, what would you tell people who are thinking about giving themselves a few different things to target? Well, I've, I've told my runners and, and because we have had this conversation a lot of, a lot of different (laughs) throughout this entire pandemic. And, um, I've told them that one, you know, we'll, we'll, to me, we we can always put on uh, a virtual race uh, within our team, and we can pick a really cold day in November. We can pl- pick a, fl- a flat course that's a loop, um, and put something on if if there isn't going to be their big race that's in uh, like a Chicago or Indianapolis um, or Philadelphia, and then or so they could do that, or they could or they could continue to push races out. Um, but I do think there, there are going to be even smaller half marathons that happen. So maybe transitioning from a marathon to half marathon training, um, is okay. And I think that that's, I think that there, there are a lot more half marathons that will go on, I think, than marathons because they're easier to put on. Um, they're less, less expensive. 
and you can bounce back from them much faster. So you don't, you can leave everything out there and bounce back a lot faster than you can from a marathon. So that's another option that I've given runners is maybe transitioning over to a half marathon training. So, yeah, you bring up a good point, which is that, you know, you can always pivot from marathon training to target something else. And especially with the, all the work you're doing early in marathon training is going to build a foundation that would serve well, you know, racing any other distance. And so that creates a nice transition to a second point that I wanted to make on this discussion, which is, is to be ready to pivot and to create for yourself a little bit of a decision timeline on when and how you might pivot. And I fully recognize that's hard to do in a situation that that involves uncertainty because you may not know when a race is going to announce something and when you're going to know about how that race is going to play out or not. But regardless, I think you need to try to give yourself a deadline, so to speak, of when to pivot. I know I have a lot of people that are thinking about the big city races, for example. Chicago, New York, Philly, Marine Corps. And, you know, none of those races to this point have announced anything. You know, Chicago, I think, sent out an email that said, we don't know. And we don't know when we're going to tell you. It's like, why would you say that in an email? You know, um, but we'll tell you soon, I think is what they said. They also <laughs> with said, that- yeah, they said they would give everyone a refund if they don't. They did say that too. <laughs> that that which you- is all good and fine, <laughs> which is all good. But it's like, come on, just give us, give us a deadline, you know, because you need to tell people sooner rather than later. But if it were me and I'd signed up for Chicago and that happens in Oct- early October, then I would set my own deadline. It's like, okay, by end of July, I'm going to pivot if I don't have. Either and make a decision. If Chicago hasn't made a decision, I'll make a decision and pivot a different direction, you know, because a race like that most likely isn't going to happen. And you want to be able to pivot in enough time to prepare for something else, whether that be a smaller marathon or that be a half marathon or switching down to going for a virtual 5K potentially, which is always something you can do. So give yourself a deadline to pivot and then give yourself enough time after you pivot to actually pivot to, to something meaningful and give yourself an opportunity to prepare for that. Yeah. So Chris, just, um, you know, a good time frame to pivot would be right before you start that marathon phase, which is usually the last, you know, nine to 12 weeks. Right. I mean, that's what we've done in our training. And so that might be a good time for people to pivot and say, Okay, uh, instead of doing a race specific phase for a marathon, I do a race specific phase for a 5K or a race specific phase for a half marathon. Yeah, I mean, basically take your taper, which is two or three weeks, right? And then add your race specific phase, which for us tends to be anywhere from four to eight weeks, depending. And so three plus four to eight, that kind of gives you your window. And, you know, and everybody, who based on whatever schedule you're following, you're going to be able to either talk to your coach or look at that schedule and say, okay, how long is that marathon specific phase where I'm really focused on marathon specific work? 
And just before that, make your decision. Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> and and I think as a part of that, you have to be ready to to pivot and not look back. You know, especially if there's still uncertainty about a race. You know, for me, if if just to be completely transparent, if I had signed up for Chicago, I would have already pivoted off of it. Because really? I think the likely, yeah, I mean, I think the likelihood of a 40,000 person race drawing from all over the world happening in Illinois, which has been, by the way, one of the worst hit states, it is like zero. <laughs> like it is as close to zero as it can be. It's maybe non-zero, but it's close to zero. So I would have already like pivoted off of Chicago and either looked at a smaller race around that same time or decided to focus on something else. I'm just being transparent for me. I'm that I'm saying that would be how I would make that decision. I'm not projecting that decision on anybody else because I completely understand how somebody else might not be prepared to make that call and might be holding out hope. And that's also okay because you don't have to pivot yet. But at some point, you know, eight to 12 weeks out from Chicago, like you said, you have to make that call whether they've made it or not. And then don't look back. I feel like Chicago will will announce something at some point in July. I think that that's the right thing to do as a race that large. So I agree with you. But but just in case. (laughs) Yeah. To me, it's slightly frustrating that they haven't already made a call. But, you know, I understand it. I'm I also have a lot of sympathy and empathy for those race directors because it's they're navigating impossible decisions. So that's point two. Be ready to pivot. Set a deadline for your pivot so that you can still get something meaningful out of whatever backup option you're planning. The third point, which is kind of related, is this idea that because you know your backup option may end up not working out, and you may need need to end up going to option three or four and pivoting entirely to a virtual race or whatever, is train for a plateau, not a peak. You know, give yourself a window of fitness versus peaking, trying to peak for a specific day. And I would say this flies in the face of everything that we that we tell people normally. So this is a very anti-rogue training philosophy perspective, but one that I think is required right now is that you're not going to be able to count on something happening unless you pick a day that you want to go run a virtual 5K. Uh, you're not going to be able to count on peaking for a given day necessarily. And so you need to peak for a plateau or try to train for a plateau rather than a peak. You know, give yourself a window of two to max four weeks where potentially you can get to peak fitness and try to hold on to something. And then maybe give yourself a few options during that window, that plateau to go show your fitness. But that's hard to do. So what would you say? How do you do that? So, yeah. So I was just thinking through that, Chris, I think from a training standpoint, uh, what you would want to do to, to peak for a plateau as opposed to uh, peaking like 
for just one day and one particular race too. I mean, because even if you're talking about a plateau that could look like a marathon or it could look like a 10 K too, we don't, we don't really know. Um, and so what I would recommend would be people to train all their energy systems, all basically for this entire time. So not just focusing on, um, marathon pacing for just a certain amount of time, but really focusing on sprinkling a little, a little bit of speed, sprinkle in a little bit of 5k, 10k, sprinkle in a little bit of, uh, half marathon or LT work or aerobic threshold work, and then sprinkle in a little bit of marathon work. And I think if you keep your fitness up by adding in that variety, you can always hone in on one of those key areas to focus on a particular race distance with a, within a period of time, I would say probably four to six weeks. And then I would also, of course, recommend keeping long runs in a range where you can either bring them up for marathon. So having like a nice base of 12 to 18 miles, or you can bring them down for a 10 K if you need to. Um, so I think just keeping your long runs up and then adding in a lot of keeping variety with your workouts and making sure that you're training all the energy systems and not really just focused on speed or um, if you were doing 5k you would mainly focus on 5k type training but really keeping all of the energy systems trained at all times that would be what i would recommend i don't know if that answers your question though no it does it does i mean i think it it not only gives you that ability to train for a range of time, but it also, I think, sets you up for ensuring that whatever you do now will pay off down the road regardless. The other thing I would say is that typically when we're peaking for a given day, then we will have a big race prep that might be three or four weeks out from your target race day. And that probably isn't really the way you want to approach it right now. You know, having that really, you don't want to have really big efforts that are going to then set you on a clock that essentially means, okay, now you got to go use that fitness. You just put all your chips on the table. Now you got to call the bet and make sure that that one day happens. I don't think you can do that. I don't think at any point during this training cycle can you put all your chips on the table. I think you always have to be training a little bit below the radar, a little bit further from that edge, which will allow the body to not get that signal that, okay, it's time to go. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with you. I think the only difference would be if someone is dead set on doing an all out race effort for like Boston, um, then may, then they would want to continue to train. And I personally am not recommending any of my runners to do that just because we live in Texas and in September it's really hot. And so to me, it's not worth doing an all out effort at that time of year. But if you lived up North where it was cold, then maybe that would be something that someone would want to do. I don't know. Agree with that. Yeah. All right. So that was number three. Let's go to number four, which is 
and it really kind of relates, which is this idea of, you know, don't forget about the bread and butter. Make sure you're you're focusing on the bread and butter and at some level keeping it simple. Because if you do that, then not only will it pay dividends now, but it'll pay dividends down the road. So for me, one example of that, and then I'll love to get your examples, would be making sure you're working in strides. Weekly. I was going to say that. Yeah, right. You and I think too much alike. Weekly strides. It's like once a week, do strides. Four to four to six flat strides. You know, 80 to 100 meters. Controlled, fast effort. Because that's going to be that, as I've been talking about it with my athletes recently, it's that little inoculation of speed. It's like allergy shots that don't matter when you do them once, twice, three times, but they matter for sure if you do them once a week, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so make sure you're doing that work because not only will it pay off now, it'll pay off down the road. So that's a bread and butter example. What else? Yeah. So, uh, I would say, well, one, I, I, I have my team do strides pretty much every week in a disguise. So sometimes it looks like strides and sometimes, uh, it looks a little different with a short pickups and a fart lick. Um, but I, I also think fart licks are a simple workout and you can vary them in all different types of ways. And to me, I always look at a fart lick, especially when they're short as an elongated stride. <laughs> like it's just a longer version of a stride. Um, and it's a little bit of speed work that I think are great. So, yeah, which is a good point. You can always work in 20 or 30 second pickups into a run to replicate the same concept. So don't forget your bread and butter. Also part of bread and butter is just getting in the miles, just being consistent, you know, and it doesn't have to be perfect. But I'll say, I know for me personally, not having a race on the calendar this spring made me, made me more consistent maybe than I've ever been from the time period between March and June. Because normally I would race something typically in April or May, and then that would take me out for three weeks, you know, where I'm recovering. And instead of that, I've just been cranking out 70 mile weeks. And so I've had a more consistent spring and early summer. Gosh, we're not even actually officially to summer yet, but it feels like it. It's pre-summer here in Texas. And that is only going to pay dividends. And so if you're also just focusing on when in doubt, getting in the miles with your strides, you know, that's also going to pay dividends regardless of what happens with races. Yeah. I I was going to say, I have a couple runners that are um, doing like a monthly mileage challenge for themselves, um, trying to hit so many miles per week every month. And that's been really good. And then I have another few runners that are doing, that have been doing a streak since we went into basically stay at home orders. So right at the end of spring break. And I think uh, one of them told me she's on day 90. So that's been really, that's something cool that I think gets you out the door. And that consistency is so important to being a fit runner down the road. Yep. Love that. All right. That was four. Keep it simple. 
don't forget the bread and butter. Number five is that this is an also a time, and you're the one that really brought this up, is to work on your weaknesses. You know, to keep those core elements in place, but then, you know, have the freedom and flexibility to work on the things that you need to work on. So what does that look like for some of your athletes? Uh, so for a lot of them, it, it looks like a lot of strength training, um, a lot of core work. So glute work, core work. Um, I've been teaching a, a strength class with my team every Monday and Wednesday at noon, just for anybody who wants to come. And, and we just work on basically abs, planks, variations of planks, some push-ups, um, and a lot of glute work. So that's been really good for uh, other runners. I think it's, you know, some of them have done been doing Pilates and yoga, uh, which has also been great. They've also created strength challenges within the team. Um, like I know you saw this, but there was the handstand t-shirt challenge, which was pretty cool to watch <laughs> Oh, where they were trying to take off or put on a shirt while doing a handstand or. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they did it. I mean, it was pretty cool. But for a lot of them, now they have more time because they're not traveling for work or commuting for work. And because they're not having to get ready for work, they have this extra time that they can devote to strength training. Uh, for other athletes, I think maybe their weaknesses was their weakness was consistency. Before it was hard to get in five days or six days of running, and and now that's something that they're focusing on is that weakness of, of consistency. So I think it's different for everybody, but I've noticed for a lot of runners, it is you know putting in the time for strength training. Yeah, I think the same would be true in my group as well. And you know we've introduced a strength protocol during this time that people are able to follow along the videos virtually. And I know a lot of people have invested time in that because they have the time and because the uncertainty, you know, gives them the opportunity to to focus there and to deal with whatever adaptation may be required and slowing down on your running or backing off a little bit on your running in order to incorporate that into their routine so that they can all so that it all fits together. But yeah, critical, you know, you've got the time work on those weaknesses. And you kind of brought it up, which kind of transitions us to number six, this idea of also using this as a way to experiment with some new things, add some spice, maybe some new challenges to the fold. And so that can involve working your weaknesses and that can be a form of that. But it can also just involve doing other things to keep it fun and interesting. I know for me, you know, doing some fun new and different things has helped me stay motivated like I did the vagabond time trials that Jason and Mallory put on for May which was a way to have some fun we've got this whole front door 5k thing happening with rogue which surprisingly I've actually even though I hate 5k's <laughs> I've embraced and kind of enjoying the challenge of it but there are a lot of other challenges you could face from or or take on from trying new workouts to adding in fun little fart licks on your long runs, a little bit of spice to doing some of these virtual challenges that are not only virtual races, but potentially just uh, virtual mileage challenges. Like for example, I have some people in my group doing the virtual run across Tennessee, 
and there mm-hmm. and i think it's put on by the same guy who does the barclays marathon i think and so you can run across tennessee and it's like basically track where you are in the journey and there's a new one that's been going around uh the rogue nation facebook page of you can I think run around Texas or, you know, there's options of either running across or around Texas as a way. Yeah. They they had the city one too, where you could run from like Houston to Dallas or Austin to Houston. That was one too. And it's just a fun way to stay excited, motivated, find a community of people that are doing something similar to keep you uh, out there and to keep it going. I agree. I I've had runners um, that are, signing up for some of the trail races that haven't done trail before, which is exciting. Um, and then I've been adding in a lot of new workouts, not a lot, but I mean, probably at least five or six new workouts that my team's never done. Um, we started doing hill sprints, like just 20 second hill sprints at the end of a long run, just to add in something different and new. Um, we added in a new couple new fart legs, a couple new workouts. Um, and then I told you before the call, the, the fart lick during the long run, which has been really great for runners to just make the long run go by a lot faster. And it's not a, it, you get a lot of recovery in the fart leg, So it's not something that leaves you completely spent or anything like that. It's just something to change gears a little bit. And it's, it's, that's been fun for the runners, I think to add in some new workouts. I also think, Chris, if, if runners have ever read online a workout that they thought maybe looked fun, but it didn't fit with their training, or maybe they read a training book and they saw this workout and they thought, oh, I've always wanted to do that, but it didn't fit with what I was training for. Now would be the time to try that workout and just kind of do something fun and different. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's critical to keep it exciting right now and to really gravitate towards the stuff that you enjoy and, you know, cut the workouts you hate, bring in new workouts. (laughs) Doesn't mean you don't do work because that's still important, but you do have flexibility to kind of mix things up and then see what you like. Try something new on and, and roll with it or discard it if you don't like it. I know early on and during the quarantine, I was struggling with long runs, keeping them interesting. And so every week it became a challenge of, okay, what am I going to do this week with my long run in order to make it interesting and want to go do it? And so that came in different forms. Sometimes it was adding a little fartlek in. Sometimes it was doing a new route. You did some... You did some epic stuff. Sometimes it was finding all the hills in Austin that I could possibly run and running them in one long run, uh, which for whatever reason was interesting at the, at the time. And I uh, actually enjoyed when the weather was cool. That was what was motivating me. Now I don't think I would do that again, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, but you have to do that. Find the things that are going to be interesting to you and, and what works for one person may not work for you. So you know, collect people's perspectives on what they're doing, but that you don't have to necessarily follow along with someone else. But keep it fun, keep it interesting, add the the spice. A related point to that, which you kind of brought up and, and I just brought up really is the long runs and how do we treat those during this time? And you said a little bit earlier in the discussion, 
this idea that you want to have flexibility with your long runs where you can ramp up or ramp down depending on how you might pivot. You also mentioned adding some spice to the long runs if you needed to, to keep things interesting. And, you know, so those are obviously a couple of elements to emphasize, but the long run is still important for marathon training. So that's, you know, important to emphasize, but you do have some flexibility about how you might treat that long run right now. For some in my group who are in marathon training, but aren't ready yet to fully commit to it because they don't know if their race is going to happen. They're like, I don't want to do 20 mile runs yet until I know more. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's get up to 18. For whatever reason, there's a psychological difference there. Yeah. (laughs) And, and a physical difference. And so, you know, we're going to work them up to 18 until we have more information and then we'll build up from there if needed. And we might get a few, few, fewer 20 milers this cycle. But if that's what we need to do to kind of keep them right where they need to be, then that's okay. You know, for my podcast training group, I'm trying to avoid the, the big, really rigorous long run workouts. And yeah, we're doing some of those, but not anything too crazy. And, and instead I'm working in a few more long runs without nutrition to try to work on fat burning and, and to build muscular resilience, which is something that that can do. So we've pivoted to more nutrition long runs in that training schedule. So there's a lot of things you can do from managing the distance, adding a little spice, working on some different elements, perhaps with no nutrition long runs to that long run. It still means it's important but you have flexibility with how you might treat it. I think right now. I agree with you. Uh, Obviously I agree with you. Um, One of the things one of my runners is doing during the summer because he has really struggled with summer training and the heat is I'm have, I'm giving him long run um, heart rate ranges so that he keeps his heart rate in a certain range during the long run. And that's something that he's never done before. And I've also never done before with a runner. I don't normally do that, but it's worked great for him. And it's made his long runs a lot more enjoyable because he's not completely spent afterwards to where he can't, you know, he doesn't do anything the rest of the day or something like that. Right. So that's been something good, I think, to just keep that. Um, and then the other thing we do instead of doing big long run workouts, and I know all of Rogue does this, is instead of doing a big long run workout, you can always just throw in a close or a faster finish or a little progression towards the end of your long run. And and it's, to me, just as beneficial as, as doing no nutrition. It's just a different type of, yep. of way to test the body. So. Yeah, good point. Work on those fast finishes. Mm-hmm. So manage your long runs. That's number seven. Then the last point I wanted to make is really to address this point of motivation. And, and it's comes back to a point I've made more times than I can count on this podcast, which is that you have to know your why. And that why may need to evolve for this window of time. 
Because I know oftentimes for people, their why is associated with a specific goal, with a specific race. And I think given the uncertainty that, that exists right now, you can't rely on those types of whys, those purposes to sustain you. Because if that's all you have, then it might get ripped out from under you tomorrow when your race says it's canceled. And so you have to kind of go a click up and maybe spend some time thinking about why do I do this that is beyond the goal, beyond the race day, and really try to connect to that purpose. And so for me, just as an example, you know, it's it's actually been running has been a lot of things during this time, but one of the things it's been is an outlet for just processing the world's shit frankly right now (laughs) and and so i've really leaned into that it's like i need to do my runs just so i can manage like all the stuff we're dealing with and i've really leaned into that idea really reflected on it really tried to connect to it as you know using running as an outlet running has also become now that we're back to in group running at Rogue as a way to just connect to my team. And I'm really leaning into that idea of running as a community building thing. But that, you know, and and honestly, at this point, I'm not even thinking about races at all. You know, I don't have any races on the calendar. I mean, I I was going to do run for the water if it happened, but, you know, but really I'm not training for that in any specific way because I, you know, I doubt that that will happen that 10 miler in Austin. But so the point is, this last point is like, you've got to really think about your why and connect to running on a deeper level, a bigger level, which I've talked about many times on this podcast. Maybe you've listened, maybe you haven't, but this is the time to go back and do a little bit of thinking and work on what does this mean to you beyond the time goal, beyond the race day? I I agree with you, Chris. I think definitely people need to need to think about what's motivating them to get out the door and why are they because most people sign up for a race and that's what gets them out the door and knowing that those aren't going to happen is uh means that people need to reevaluate i want to say for for me it's it's been really refreshing to i've been running with my son who has really come into running during this as soon as school shut down, he, he started running six days a week and it's been our time to run together and to talk and, and to connect in a different way because he's 16 years old. So when they're 16, they don't want to hang out with you as much anymore, (laughs) you know? Um, but we've been running so much together and, and that's really motivated me. And this morning, just so you know, this is how motivated both my kids are right now. I slept in and I woke up and I asked Mark, I said, where are the boys? Oh, they went to go run. Oh, without you. Which, without me. Wow. <laughs> that was probably like the best moment I've ever woken up to, like the best way I've ever woken up, right? Is that they're so motivated right now and, and they motivate me to to get going. Obviously they didn't wake me up because they said I they felt like I needed to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but but it was pretty awesome um so that's that's been really cool uh to get to run with my son which 
who was not a runner like two years ago. So that's pretty neat. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's such a great time to um, get out the door and, and not have to listen to the news or deal with the stress um, that's going on in the world right now. So the quiet time of running and the reflection that you can have on a run is, is just pretty beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's beautiful that your your sons can now hold that over you. You know, <laughs> yeah, we got our run done today. Yeah. Jen, you know, mom, where are you? <laughs> but uh, I love that. I love that. And it's and it underscores the importance of having a tribe, whether that be kids, family, friends, others that are around you who are like minded, who are getting it done as well, who can hold you accountable, but also help you see the beauty of it. And so I would also encourage everybody to tap into that, tap into the the community that they can tap into, even if it's, you know, a virtual one and just a friend that you text to say, Hey, I got my run done. How was yours? Because that I think is so important that we come together and really lift each other, lift each other up through this time. Because what else do we have? Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going yeah. on. So running is positive thing and it it can transform your mood um so it's definitely worth getting out the door and doing all right so those are our eight things i'll recap them quickly one have options two be ready to pivot and have a deadline for that three train for a plateau not a peak four don't forget the bread and butter do the simple things five work your weaknesses six but experiment and try some new things. Have some fun with it. Number seven, manage those long runs a little bit differently. Get creative with with those. And then lastly, know your why and and know that it, it's much bigger than just a race or a time goal because running truly is a path to being a better person and not just to running faster times. And if you embrace that, I think now more than ever, then you will get a whole lot out of this training, regardless of what happens with races in the fall, in the spring, anytime thereafter. And so we're encouraging you to still do the work, but yeah, make some tweaks along the way so that you can get the most out of it. Thank you, Jen, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Your perspective is always valuable and I hope you have fun at the lake. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. There you go. Jen Harney helping us digest how to think about marathon training in a pandemic. Hopefully you found that helpful and I also hope it gives you the focus and guidance you need to keep training because as we say, again, no matter what, if you do the work now, it will pay off down the road whether or not you can race in the fall or not. So with that, we will wrap this episode. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or the Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.